I want to talk to you today about something, and I really prayed about this, but I'm, I just want to deal with uh, an issue that I know is, is really a part of the, the church. Now, I can only speak for America and what we call the West, but I want to talk to you about evidences of salvation. You know, a car does not become a car because it's in a garage. Amen? And if you go stand in a garage for 10 years, you're not ever going to turn into a car because you're in the garage. Amen? Amen. Um, Neither does coming into a church building save you. Neither does uh, doing religious things save you. And and, and so I want to deal today with uh, something I've just seen happening in the church, and that is a lot of people assume that they're saved because they do religious stuff. And I'm going to talk to you about that um, in just a moment. But I want to I just read something Jesus said. He told us who he is, and he told us who we are. And I want to look at John 15, verse uh, 5, just starting right there. Now, here's Jesus telling us who he is and who we are. I am the vine. I am, you are, the branches. Everybody say, I am, you are. Now, whatever Jesus tells us we are, we is. Amen? If he says you are, then you is. That's bad English, but it's really good truth. Now, he said, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Can you? That's a powerful statement. That'll take away your your self-confidence, right? Now he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and it withers. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Verse seven, but if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now verse eight, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my what? So disciples abide in him. He's the vine. We're the branches. We're not the vine. He is. We're just the branches. We bear fruit by hanging around in him. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for your blessing. We thank you for your presence. And we pray that, Lord, you will speak to us today in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to understand uh, what salvation really looks like. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart today. In Jesus' mighty name, I receive the word of God. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, get ready. You're going to grab some toes. And you know, when I bring a message like this, I'm the one that had to repent before you ever do. Because I'm getting ready, uh, this message ready. But now, l- let me just deal with this, this whole issue of really being saved, what salvation actually looks like. Now, Jesus is comparing himself to a vine, but for those of us here in Texas, I'm just going to say a tree. All right? He said, I'm the tree, you're the branches. Christians are the branches, Jesus is the tree. Now, a tree only has two types of branches, living ones and dead ones, branches that bear fruit and branches that don't. And in Jesus' illustration, the branches that bear fruit are genuine believers. Please catch that. He's showing us the difference in the passages we just read 
between somebody who's really saved and somebody who might think they are or somebody who's not. He says, he says the, the branches that bear fruit, the fruit of the kingdom, are genuine believers. And those that don't bear fruit aren't. The branches that do not bear fruit are those that profess to believe, but they lack the fruit that indicates genuine salvation has ever taken place. Because it's not what you say so much, but it's what you do, and it's the fruit that you bear that is the evidence of true salvation. Jesus says that a person is either attached to him, the true vine, and abiding in him, consistently, ongoingly, daily abiding in him, or they're attached to some other kind of worldly, fleshly, non-Christian tree. Everybody with me? Now, don't get nervous. Y'all are looking at me like you're nervous. Don't get nervous. You're, you're saved, amen? Now, watch this. The fruit, says Jesus, is what tells the story. Not what you say, but the fruit you bear is what tells the story. As a branch, you may be attached to the tree of Buddhism or to the tree of Hinduism or to the tree of secularism or the tree of new age or the tree of some cult. Whatever it is that you're attached to, you will bear the fruit of that. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. So you will produce the fruit of whatever you have decided to follow in your life, whatever is premier in your life. You will bear the fruit of that. And it won't be, if it's not Jesus, then it won't be the fruit that Jesus produces, which is listed in Galatians 5.22. Now, here's what is going to be coming forth in your life if you are abiding in the vine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As a branch, that's the fruit that ought to be coming out of your life, the branch. That's the fruit that ought to be hanging on your branch. That fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. That's the fruit of the kingdom. That is the evidence that we are hooked into, attached to, abiding in, truly know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because whoever we're attached to, we're going to bear the fruit of that. We're going to bear the fruit of that. You can't get away from that. If you're an atheist, you're going to bear the fruit of atheism. Whatever it is, you have decided to be your premier, leading, overarching worldview. That is what you're going to bear the fruit of. You can't get away from it. And Jesus says emphatically, you will know what tree you're attached to by the fruit it produces in your life. Now, the, the Lord's point here is this, that if you're truly saved, you're going to show the evidence of it. Everybody say evidence. I'm calling this message today evidence. So say it again, evidence. See, the Lord's point. See, if you've been out in the sun for four hours, out in the August sun, uh, you don't need to tell us you've been out in the August sun for four hours. We're going to see it all over you because you're going to have evidence you've been in that sun. Amen? If you're walking with Jesus and he's really the Lord of your life, you don't need to tell us. We're going to see the fruit hanging on the branch of your tree. We're going to see the fruit. Your life will steadily produce the fruit 
of the true vine, who is Jesus Christ. Now, folks, this is very important because there's many people who believe they're saved because they're religious. They attend church services. They do good things to the needy and, and the poor. They, they give money away. They do good religious things and, and so on and so forth. But in their own eyes, they're fundamentally good people. You know, right now, as we, as I preach and as you sit there and as we're having church today all over the United States of America, can I be honest with you? Tens of thousands of people are going into church buildings who do not really know Jesus Christ. There are preachers standing in pulpits who are dead, preaching to dead congregations. There are all kinds of people going to churches all over America today who have never had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. They're still lost. They're just going through the motions of religion, but they've never really met the Lord Jesus Christ. It's true. I wish I could tell you it wasn't true, but I read all the stats. I read the polls. I know that it's true. They profess to being saved because they they don't break the law. They're good citizens. They're good moms. They're good dads. They do good things. And because they go into a church building, they believe that they're saved because they're going through the motions of religion. But folks, can I tell you, religion is not Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. It's called a religion. It's called one of the world religions, but it's not really a religion. Christianity, listen, is a relationship with the founder of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are not in relationship with him, you are not a Christian. You are not a Christian. See, see, there, there are people who profess to being saved, but there's a disconnect between their profession of faith and how they live. What they allow, what they embrace as acceptable morals and ethics and what they accept as spiritual truth. There are people going into churches today who will tell you, well, Christ is, is a way, but he's not the only way. God sees your good intentions. You don't have to be a Christ-professing Christian to get into heaven because God's a God of love. He's going to let everybody in who have good intentions, and, and they really mean it. And, and the bottom line is, the person that says that is still lost because there is only one way, only one truth, and only one life. And his name is Jesus. And we've got to be in connection with him. He said, if I'm the vine, if you as a branch are abiding in me, you're going to produce the fruit of the kingdom. But if you're not abiding in me, you're going to wither up and you're going to die. I mean, it's very, very straight. And I'm not telling you anything that Jesus didn't say. I'm I'm here to preach Jesus, not Jeffisms. Amen. God didn't call me to tickle ears. God told me, called me to tell the truth. And, I, and I'm called to preach Jesus, quote Jesus, stand for Jesus, clarify Jesus, explain Jesus, glorify Jesus. And, and I want you to know that, that there's people out there that they allow things, or they embrace as acceptable certain morals and ethics that are not biblical and, and, and they accept things as spiritual truth that are not truth at all. Things that the scriptures condemn or at least advise against doing, they practice with no conviction of sin at all. No sense of the need to repent at all. 
This is why the Bible advises, I'm going to quote it to you, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Living Bible, it says, check up on yourselves. Check up on yourselves. Another version says, examine yourself. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? I'm quoting the Bible now. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? Or are you just pretending to be Christians when actually you aren't at all? Some of you are thinking, well, Mildred, I wish I'd stayed home today. And Mildred is thinking, Harry, I agree with you. I wish we'd both stayed home. Well, let me just tell you, we need to hear this, folks. It's time that we got straight about this. There's people that say they're Christians. They're not Christians at all. And we need to know the difference. So, so we need clarity on this. Do we not? Come on. Do we need clarity on this? We need clarity on this. Some of you can't even give me a hand. You're just, you're just kind of sitting there going, that's okay. I don't need your hand. If I've got God's hand, I'm good. All right. So, so I'm just going to let the Bible speak for itself as to what it identifies as genuine evidence of salvation. What are the evidences? Because there are evidences of salvation, of, of what fruit should be on the branches of a person truly born again. What is real? If somebody has had a real encounter with Christ, what does it produce? What are the evidences of it? All right, here's the first evidence, a changed life. If you're really a Christian, you will have a changed life. I want you to listen to what Paul wrote. He said, when somebody becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. Everybody say brand new person. Where does it happen? Inside. See, real salvation is not outside, it's not outer, it's not the way you display yourself, but it's an inward event. Real salvation is an inside job. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old is passed away, and all is become new. He's a brand new creation. So the Bible is letting us know it's not rehab, it's not self-improvement, it is not turning over a new leaf. It is not a New Year's resolution. Something has happened on the inside of somebody who has truly been saved. They have an inner transformation that no man could ever bring about. You are changed from the inside out. You are a brand new creation. Brand new creation. You're a brand new creation. Now, you're not perfect, and I'm not saying anybody who is really saved is perfect, but you are indeed changed. There's a recognizable difference. There is a before and there is an after. You ever seen that? What is that show, uh, uh, Extreme Makeover, where they either get somebody who, who really never worried about taking much care of themselves, and let's say they've been married 30 years, and, and they go and they talk the wife into coming in for a, an extreme makeover, and the husband, he's kind of he's dumb and dumber. He has no idea what's going on, and they get her in there, and they bring in the best makeup artist and the best hairstylist and, and all these different things, and, and, they, and they, they do a makeover on this, on this wife, and, and, and they, they bring the guy, and this is the big moment of the show, they bring the husband into a, a room or something, and then they walk her out, and he hardly even recognizes her. I've seen husbands on these shows cry. 
because he can't believe that's his woman. And, and he's breaking down and he's just freaking out. And he says, oh my. And, and, and it's this extreme makeover because there was a before and there's an after. And folks, when you really say, it may not be that extreme at first, but there is a before and there is an after and the countenance has changed and the heart has changed and the lifestyle has changed and all kinds of things have changed because you have experienced a, a miracle of God, the greatest miracle of all. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. This is the work of God. Your speech changes, your morals change, your character changes, your lifestyle changes. We see a difference. No, you're not perfect. Yes, there's all kinds of spiritual growth that still needs to take place. But there is a distinct change. There is a difference. You're not who you were. We know you're not who you were. We look at you and we say, you're not who you used to be. There is an immediate, recognizable, observable change in behavior and demeanor when a person is truly saved. Come on, everybody, give the Lord. That's a miracle. It's a miracle of God. This is a miracle of God. Now you might say, well, Jeff, well, what do you mean by changes? Because I'm trying to figure this thing out because I think I'm a pretty good person, and, I, and you may be. I'm not saying you're not. But what, what kind of changes in particular? Well, that leads me to the second evidence. So the first evidence is a changed life, a distinctly changed life. You're not going to where you used to go. You're not doing what you used to do. You, you have, and this is the second point, changed affections and desires. Genuine salvation produces in the believer a whole new set of desires and affections. Hear me on this one, folks. Now, you say, well, Jeff, why would you bother with speaking on this? Because I love you and, and, and those watching by streaming video. And I want us to know that we know that we're saved. And, and just as a preacher and teacher of the Word of God, I want to clarify what real Christianity looks like because there's a lot, there's a lot of, of fakes out there, a lot of fake presentations of Christianity where you can kind of do what you want, go where you want. Uh, Jesus loves me anyway. And the bottom line is, if you've been saved, there's going to be a change. There's going to be a changed walk. There's going to be a changed talk. There's going to be a changed heart. There's going to be a changed uh, what you what you say, uh, how you say it. He cleans up your speech. He cleans up your thinking. He cleans up your life. Changed affections and desires. Genuine salvation produces in the believer a whole new set of desires and affections. Remember, Paul said, you're a brand new person on the inside. Something has happened on the inside. You're a brand new person. So first, a truly born-again person will evidence a genuine love for Jesus Christ. You will love Jesus Christ. Before you knew him, you said Jesus Christ in a bad way. Jesus Christ. But once you know him, when you hear somebody use his name that way, it hurts you, it grieves you, because now you love Jesus Christ. A real believer loves Jesus Christ. Can I say it again? A true believer is in love, is in love, is in love with Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter wrote. He said, though you have not seen him, yet you love him. 
And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We haven't seen him, yet we love him. How in the world can you do that? How in the world? Some of us have trouble just loving somebody we can see. How how do you love somebody you can't see? Well, it happens by the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And that Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And he changes your heart, your affections, what you love and what you hate, what you chase after and what you shun. He changes your heart. And one of the things he does in our heart is he causes us to fall in love with the one who died on the cross for us. We love him. Everybody say, I love him. Say, I love him. I don't have to see him. I love him. I'm looking forward to the day that I do see him because when I see him, I will be like he is because I will see him as he is, but I don't have to see him to love him because the Holy Spirit has birthed in my heart as a child of God, a love for Jesus Christ. I love him. I love Jesus. Amen. Now, some days it may, you know, feel like it's ebbing a little bit low. I don't, I don't wake up and go through the whole day just, just, uh, just, you know, filled with and talking to and loving Jesus where I can't focus on anything else. But when I wake up in the morning, I know that I do love him. The one that died for me, gave his life for me, took my place on the cross, spilled his blood for me, rose from the dead on my behalf. And guess what? One day he's coming back for me. And so I love him. Amen. I love him. This means you care about what pleases him or what grieves him because you love him. What he wants for you or what he doesn't want for you, that matters to you if you're a real believer because you love him. Anybody you really love, you want to spend time with them. You want to come to know him better. You want to hear about him, worship him, be in his presence, talk to him. You got a Jesus thing going on. I didn't, I didn't grab hold of a religion I don't care about religion. I don't care about being in some religious uh, um, rules and regulations and just something I do for a lifestyle. No, no, no. I became a Christian because he first loved me. And now I love him. Yeah, I, I'm in a romance with Jesus Christ. I got a thing going on with Jesus Christ. Listen, anybody who is really saved has got something going on with Jesus Christ. You ask them, who does he, who is he to you? And they will say, I love him. He died for me. He's my savior. He's my Lord. I love him. Jesus, if you're really saved, becomes the central figure of your life. Paul said to me, Living means having Christ. To die means I get to have more of him. It's all about Jesus. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. See, I'd rather have a church of 500 people smack happy in love with Jesus Christ than 10,000 religious deadheads where you, you could ice skate to your seat because it's so cold in there. There's no life. There's no fire. There's no love. No, give me 500 people that love Jesus Christ. Now, now listen, to to the unsaved person, there's no such desire. It's not there. 
Jesus is just another historical religious figure that lived back there and said some good things worth emulating along with other religious leaders. But they're not in love with Jesus Christ. They're not in love with Jesus Christ. So, so if, you really, if you really are saved, there's a love relationship there. Having not seen him, yet you love him. And a true born-again Christian will experience another desire. Not just desire for Jesus, but this. Desire for the things of God. His word, his spirit, his presence. There is a hunger for the things of God. Peter wrote, as newborn babes, desire. Everybody say desire. Now notice that verse. As newborn babes desire, and that's, that means crave. Let me give you a few more adjectives that go along with desire. Long for, strain after, hunger for, desire greatly, have strong affection for. Notice he says, as a newborn babe, that is, as a new Christian, not only do you love him you haven't seen, but you have desire for the pure milk of the word, spiritual things. You desire the word of God, to be fed the word of God, to read the word of God, to be in his presence. We, we, we want to grow in grace. We want to advance spiritually. We want to soak in the scriptures. We want to learn more about him. We want to become more like him. We love the word of God. We love his presence. How many of you love the presence of God? Amen? Because, because isn't the presence of God a foretaste of what is coming? I mean, we, the best worship service you've ever been in is, is a tiny, tiny example of what we're going to experience in heaven. I mean, we're going to have a worship time like you cannot believe in heaven. But right now, anytime I can get anything that is of God, from God, from Jesus, has to do with him, I have a hunger for it, a hunger for the spiritual things of God. Amen, Pastor Jeff. That's good stuff. Amen. Now, I'm not saying every day you wake up, you've got some burning desire to run and go to the Bible and open it up real quick, and you're just being eat up with it. But I'm saying this, there ought to be an abiding, existing hunger for the things of God, his word, his presence, fellowship with his people, learning more about him, soaking up the teaching of the scriptures. There ought to be a hunger. When we get saved, it creates in us a a new stomach, as it were. A new hunger that didn't used to be there. But see, the person that hadn't genuinely been saved has no such passion. They're all about appearing to be religious, but they're really not saved. Paul pointed out people like this. He said they will do things to make it look as if they are Christians, but they will not receive the power that is for a Christian. Can I read that again? They will do things to make it look as if they are Christians, but they will not receive the power that is for a Christian. Unsaved people, religious people, are all about what people think, about appearing pious and spiritual, but they're really not saved. They will have nothing to do with genuine repentance and getting right with God. Not interested. So genuine salvation brings a distinctly changed before and after and changed desires and affections. And the last evidence I want to point out is 
the truly saved person will obey God's word. They will obey God's word. I saw an anonymous quote this week, and, and I, I just had to, to, to write it down. I don't know who, who wrote it, but it says this. We're at a point in Christianity where people don't care if you can back it up with the Bible. Their feelings, desires, and emotions override what Scripture says. They don't follow Christ. They follow self. I think that is so true. I think that is so true. I've run across it so much as a pastor. And I wonder about the salvation of these folks. Because you can show them the Bible verse that says, this is not the way you ought to be living. But they'll reject the Bible verse and say, but this is the way that I feel. This is my desire. These are my emotions. And they are more valid than the word of God. But folks, the true believer will always turn to the instruction manual God gave us. The Holy Bible. The Bible. Everybody say, the Holy Bible. That's the word of God. And and when we get saved, when we get saved, that immediately becomes God's communication to us, telling us how to live, how to walk, what to believe, what to accept, what to reject, what to embrace, what to shun, how to walk this thing out called Christianity. That's our instruction manual for living. And and I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. Here's what John the Apostle wrote. We can be sure that we know him If we obey his commandments, if we obey his word, and then John wrote again a couple chapters later, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not a drag. His commandments are not a hassle. But when we see what God wants, the the new nature in us wants to say, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. That's where I'm going. Come on, everybody. Come on, everybody. I told Cindy, I said, this is not going to be a jump up and shout word today. But I I just get so sick of things passing for Christianity. They're not Christianity at all. It's sloppy agape. It's greasy grace. I say that I'm saved, but I can do what I want, go where I want, live the way I want. But we can't tell the difference between you and the world. See, there's supposed to be a distinct difference. There's a, we're supposed to be lights shining into the dark. How can we shine into the dark if we look just like the dark, if we act like the dark? No, I'm a light. I have gone from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God's dear son. I've got a new king. I've got a new kingdom. I've got a new way. I've got a new, I've got a new life. Come on, everybody. Come on. Come on. See, when you're truly saved, a new lifestyle comes with it, a lifestyle of obedience. Not perfect obedience. I'm not talking sinless perfection here. We all make mistakes. I made plenty this week. I've had to repent many times this week, thinking something, saying something, doing something I shouldn't. Don't look at me all holy. You did too. What I'm talking about is a sincere desire to to obey the word of God, our instruction manual for living. See, if a person tells me they've been through driver's ed and they pass the driver's test and I get in the car with them and they drive like a maniac, 
I immediately doubt their testimony. Right? Because their driving gives no evidence of having been changed by driver's ed. And likewise, the person who tells me they're a Christian, but they continue to live sinful lives of disobedience, we doubt their testimony. And they should too. Many people assume because they walk down an aisle or repeat a prayer or get water baptized or join a church that they're saved. But none of those things save you. Water baptism doesn't save you. You're supposed to already be saved when you go down in that water. Uh, uh, Walking down an aisle doesn't save you. If you don't genuinely repent once you get down to the altar, then, then, then you're not saved. You just walk down an aisle. You made an unnecessary trip. If you didn't really repent and get saved, can I tell you the truth today? Joining a church, I don't care what church it is, that doesn't get you saved. Well, I belong to so-and-so. I'm a turning point. Okay, so big deal. That's just a name. This is just a building. It used to be a warehouse. There used to be cars right here where you and I are sitting. Big deal. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, And so the only way to get hooked into the real vine is to say, Jesus, forgive me and come into my heart. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you, and I need you living inside of me. Lord, I turn to you as my Savior and Lord. Please forgive me. And at that moment, a miracle happens, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and gives you a brand new nature, and you are never again going to be the same. Not ever, not ever, not ever. He is going to transform you from death to life, lost to found, blind to sight, hell-bound to heaven-bound. One kingdom to another. One king to another king. The real evidence of genuine salvation is present obedience to the word of God. Because a genuinely saved person wants to obey it. And when a true Christian doesn't obey the word of God, they come under strong conviction that makes them want to repent. You want to know who the most miserable person on all the earth is? The person who knows Jesus, but is living in sin and not repenting. That's the most miserable, because you're torn betwixt two worlds. And it's ripping you apart. If you're really saved, and you're living in disobedience to God, it will eat your lunch. It will drive you crazy. You will come under conviction. You are miserable because the Holy Ghost inside of you is grieved. Amen. But if you're not really saved, you can go sin and you're not convicted at all. I know of some churches. You can go to those churches. You don't ever have to worry about being convicted of sin because they're never going to preach the word of God to you like I am right now. But folks, I got to answer to God someday. And so I'm telling you, if you're really saved, it'll show there's evidence. So can we stand up together today? And I want you to say with me, true salvation brings evidence. Are you ready? Say, a changed life, changed affections, and obedience to God's word.
Amen. That's a true believer. Can we lift our hands up to the Lord? Jesus, thank you for your blessing, for your help today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the evidences of true salvation. Thank you, Lord. Now, with our heads bowed quickly, if you can say, Jeff, it hurt some today to hear this, but I needed to hear it, and, and I wonder if I'm truly saved. And I want to leave today knowing John said that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can say, Jeff, I want to know today that I have eternal life. I want to be sure. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Pray it with me right now. You can pray it. Pray it right now. Let's go to him right now. Pray with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Jesus, forgive me my sin and come into my heart as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. 